COVID infections drop as we approach the new year. Toast the year to come and continue your cultural, your family traditions. But we must do this without the usual house parties. The warning about the new COVID variant and the latest on vaccinations. A shocking twist in Surrey's latest deadly shooting. Our victim was 14 years old. What investigators are revealing about the second teen killed in less than 24 hours. And starving for business. If I close, there is no food on the point. How the continuing border closure threatens Point Roberts' only grocery store. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It's been five days since we last heard from provincial health officials about COVID-19. And today we learn more about the new variant and the second vaccine to be approved arriving in B.C. There's also a warning about the new year. But first, let's take a look at those numbers. Counting since last Thursday, we have 2,206 new cases in B.C. for a total now of 50,815. Sadly, 74 more people have died from complications of the virus, which means we have now lost 882 people. We have 373 people in hospital, 80 of them in the ICU. 41,175 people are considered recovered. We're now left with 7,580 active cases and just over 9,400 people in self-isolation. Provincial health officials say almost 12,000 people have now been vaccinated across the province, with thousands more awaiting the Moderna vaccine, which just arrived in B.C. But as Richard Zussman tells us, there are still concerns the vaccine is not getting out fast enough. Okay. Slow down, defend it. We have done a lot of immunizations over the last week. Through Christmas and into the weekend, many COVID immunization sites in B.C. reducing hours. And in the case of Northern Health, where the virus continues to burden the healthcare system, they were closed December 24th to 27th. I know that um, every health authority was busy doing um, training, making sure we had the logistics in place. But critics say Premier John Horgan and the provincial government should have stepped in and found volunteers or others willing to keep those vaccination centers open through the holiday. Obviously, we need a break. We're tired, but COVID is getting worse, not better. Uh, we're all making sacrifices right now. And I know that had given the choice, I think there would have been nurses and physicians that would have stepped up and, uh, and kept those clinics open. Up until now, the province has only been able to vaccinate those on the front lines, including long-term care workers. That's about to change. Pfizer has approved for the first time the movement of the shots to long-term care homes for residents. And the Moderna vaccine, now available in B.C., and can be brought into care homes. We're optimistic that with the Moderna vaccine arriving now as well, that uh, long-term care workers and residents and essential visitors will be vaccinated uh, and fully vaccinated, hopefully, by family day. Long-term care workers have been prioritized for the immunization. But there are still questions about whether more shots could have been done last week. This vaccine is a lifesaver, and so we need to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. Residents will be immunized soon, the priority on homes currently experiencing COVID outbreaks. And with long-term care homes, the location of almost all of BC's COVID deaths, each shot, a chance to save a life. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
And Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria with more on what health officials are saying about the spread of that new COVID variant. But first, Keith, there are some encouraging signs in the numbers. Yeah, it's important to check where we are today, say where we were a month ago, and things are looking better on a number of fronts. It's not certainly not out of the woods, but we are leveling off just at a, a higher plateau than what's acceptable. Take a look at some of these uh, indicators. First of all, our uh, active cases are at its lowest level since November 23rd. That's very encouraging, a drop of 1,300 since uh, uh, Christmas Eve. Our recovery rate is now starting to increase again. We were in the 60% uh, just a few weeks ago. We're at 81%, the highest since October. And the average daily case numbers are declining uh, down 250 a day since December 1st. Now, a bit of an asterisk on that one because we're testing less the last few weeks. The fewer people we test, the less COVID we're going to find. But nevertheless, the numbers are encouraging. The trend line continues to go down. Dr. Bonnie Henry today saying the variant, though, is a game changer. Uh, this strain is particularly more infectious and more transmissible and basically really have to be on our game now with this new virus arriving in British Columbia. The margin of error is significantly lower. Here's Dr. Henry. We have less room for error. It means that we cannot have more than our small group of, of household contacts because even, uh, even a smaller dose of the virus can lead to transmission and infection in others. So we know what we need to do. It's the same things that we have been doing. We just have a lower margin of error. So we all have to pay attention and you know, double down on doing what we know works. And why she's uh, concerned, of course, is the scientists so far think this new variant strain is 70% more infectious and transmissible than the standard COVID-19, which is why, again, she repeated today the order that you don't socialize with people outside your household. You don't go to a restaurant or a pub or anywhere with people you don't live with. And that order's in effect till at least January 8th. And if the numbers don't go down significantly, look for that order to be extended. Let's hold people listen heading into New Year's Eve. Thanks very much. Yep. Keith Baldry and Victoria. Well, days after a special avalanche warning was issued for the mountains of southern B.C., two men are dead. As Nadia Stewart reports, the pair was part of a group snow biking when a slide came down late Sunday north of Pemberton. The call came in around 5.30 on Monday evening. Two snow bikers believed to be caught in a slide near Goat Creek in Pemberton. But it wasn't until around 10 o'clock Tuesday morning the two bodies were found. Pemberton Search and Rescue uh, advised us of an avalanche uh, involvement on Mount Matsier, north of Pemberton. And then later in the evening, we were notified of the event in Lone Goat Creek in the Hurley Pass, uh, which ended up with a tragic ending. Whistler Search and Rescue says in recent days they have been called on to help. On Monday morning at around 9.30, following reports, a man was caught in a slide. Others were able to dig him out. But that was not the case in Goat Creek. Now there's a call for caution. Be careful. Be observant of the fact that these persistent weak layers are in existence. A warning tonight for those looking to head out into the backcountry in the Whistler or Pemberton areas. Avalanche Canada says a persistent weak layer in the snowpack is at the root of a cluster of avalanches. We have a weak layer that is, is buried around 60 to 100 centimetres. And the uh, snow on top of that that fell in storms recently and just had a few days of, um, you know, maybe gentle sunshine to just consolidate into a slab 
has become active. More winter weather is on the way. Avalanche Canada says the recent slides are about a size 2 on a scale of 1 to 5, meaning they're dangerous and potentially deadly. It's the type of snowpack that is a little unusual for the south coast area. We don't commonly see these persistent weak layers last for this long, and we are urging backcountry users to dial things back a little bit. Floyer says that means sticking to lower angle terrain until the risk subsides. Nadia Stewart, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on this. Christy, it is the holidays, of course. People are getting outside, but there's more snow in the forecast. So what Mm -hmm. do we need to know about the risk? Well, so Avalanche Canada has rated much of the province at a considerable level, but in particular, the South Coast Mountains, Sophia, are a concern because they are now at a high-level avalanche risk. What does that mean? Well, it means that very dangerous avalanche conditions are in effect. Uh, Travel in that type of terrain is not recommended because natural avalanches are likely and human-triggered avalanches are very likely. And, as you mentioned, there's more snow in the forecast, in particular that Sea-to-Sky Highway expecting significant snow as well as windy conditions after the snow falls and we will see significant snow across the North Shore Mountains as well. That's starting this evening. We could even see snow over lower elevation regions. That's what I'm going to target when I come back. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. 2020 is coming to a violent end in Surrey where two teenagers have been shot and killed in less than 24 hours. The youngest just 14 years old. Grace Key is live with more on what homicide investigators are saying about both of those shootings. Grace. Yeah, the latest shooting involving that young 14-year-old happened just in the area behind me here in Surrey. And of course, the big question is why and why anyone would want a young 14-year-old dead. Disturbing new details on Monday night's fatal shooting in Surrey. Investigators have now revealed the victim was a young teen. Our victim was 14 years old. He was a resident of Burnaby. Uh, He was known to police and we believe our victim was targeted for murder. Finding the motive is the question on our minds. A taxi dropped the 14-year-old off at 148 A Street and 110 Avenue, 7.30 Monday night. Luckily, the taxi driver wasn't hurt in the shooting. The teen died at the scene. A dark sedan was spotted leaving the area. One neighbor says he heard about seven shots. First, I thought it might have been firecrackers, but it didn't sound like it. So... uh... I was a little bit worried. I just looked through the windows, but I couldn't see anything. At 8 p.m., a burned-out vehicle was found at 76th Avenue and 214th Street in Langley. Police are trying to determine if it's related to the murder. And another fatal shooting. At 10.30 Sunday evening, police were called to 137A Street and 90th Avenue. 19-year-old Harman Singh Desi was found in his car suffering from gunshot wounds. He died in hospital. Shortly before 2 a.m., another burned-out vehicle was found, this time at 176th Street and Ford Detour Road in Pitt Meadows. And there will be an overt police presence in the community with an increased number of officers conducting targeted enforcement. We've also deployed additional members of our Surrey Gang Enforcement Team. Both victims were known to police. At this stage of the investigation, police don't believe the two shootings are related. And officers are also looking for witnesses. So if you were in the area of the two shootings, uh, please definitely want to speak to you, especially if you have any dash cam footage. Sophie and Chris. Grace Key reporting for us in Surrey. Thanks, Grace. 
The pandemic pushes a Point Roberts grocery store to the brink. With so little cross-border traffic, it's in danger of going under. So some are floating a radical idea to increase the number of Canadian customers. Is moving the border an option? That's next on the NewsHour. A milestone day for Boeing, getting the 737 MAX jets back into passenger service and why some aren't happy about it later on the news hour. And look what a storm stirred up on the coast of France. That's later. Right now, though, people living in Point Roberts are growing increasingly frustrated as COVID-19 travel rules continue to take a devastating toll on the tiny Washington State Peninsula. As Catherine Urquhart reports, residents and businesses are unsure how much longer they can survive under the status quo. Nearly one year into this global pandemic, there is increasing desperation in the U.S. border community of Point Roberts, Washington. Businesses have closed. Many have lost jobs. The international marketplace is the only grocery store here. Its owner says revenues have plummeted 90 percent and the current situation is unsustainable. It's definitely not something we would do indefinitely. Uh, it's, it's just, it, it wouldn't make any sense to keep doing it uh, long term. The economy in Point Roberts is driven by Canadians who own many of the homes here. Others cross the border into this tiny community to buy gas or groceries. The Chamber of Commerce says it would be a disaster if the marketplace closed. Thank heavens for them. But if they ever closed, you'd see people storming the border. In October, Ottawa announced travel exemptions for several border towns, but Point Roberts was not included, despite never having a single case of COVID. We're going to do whatever we can to stay there, um, and we, we should be able to, as long as this doesn't, I mean, they can't keep the border closed forever, but, uh, you know, we're really hopeful that they open it up by even May. Our governments are paying no attention to us at all. They haven't been here. They haven't talked to the people locally. Several hundred of the town's 1,300 residents are believed to have moved away. As the pandemic continues, it's feared others will also be forced to leave Point Roberts, which many locals now describe as a ghost town. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A very positive reunion in West Vancouver today after a woman's best friend went missing late yesterday. Sunny. Oh, you made it home. Yes, Sunny, the golden retriever, is back with her owners thanks to an alert off-duty police officer. The dog disappeared Monday afternoon and was on the loose overnight before the West Vancouver cop spotted her running scared on Highway 1 near 15th Street at 6.30 this morning. They called for backup and police shut down traffic in order to rescue Sunny. She was um, noticeably panicked and she was actually running, sprinting eastbound in the, um, in the fast lane um, for westbound traffic. So there were cars veering out of the way, putting the hazards on, trying to stop the dog, but the, sto- the dog was very panicked. So um, myself and several other members did uh, several loops of the highway and eventually found her um, kind of hidden in a grassy culvert. Oh my goodness, that was just the most amazing sentence I've ever heard in my life. You know, we have your dog <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I broke down in tears. And in case you're wondering, Constable Brathwaite happened to have a bag of dog treats in her patrol car. 
that she used to coax is shaking and muddy and very nervous Sonny to safety. Well done, officer. Good thinking. Mm-hmm. Up next, a shocking attack in Penticton. It's unimaginable to how could someone be that angry with someone they don't even know. A man who almost lost an eye and the search for whoever did it. And later, marathon recovery. A competitive trail runner battles back from a devastating injury. There's a stall truck in Burnaby on Highway 1 East just after Willingdon in the center lane. A tow truck and crews are on scene, and traffic is slow between Grandview Highway and Douglas as a result. A message from Canadian Blood Services. There's an immediate need for blood. Donor centers remain open throughout the pandemic to provide essential products for patients in need. Book now, blood.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. BC's police watchdog has been called in after a fiery collision on Highway 1 in Chilliwack left two people dead. Early this morning, RCMP were called when someone noticed a vehicle traveling the wrong way on the freeway. An officer found that vehicle and a spike belt was used to try to stop it, but the driver, driver managed to avoid it and continue on. Just a short time later, the suspect vehicle collided with another car, resulting in a fire. First responders were able to pull one person out of that second vehicle. That person was rushed to hospital with serious injuries. Crews were unable, though, to extract the driver and passenger of the suspect vehicle. Both were pronounced dead at the scene. The Independent Investigations Office is now trying to determine whether police actions are linked to the deaths. The eastbound lanes of the highway were closed for several hours but have since reopened. A Penticton man is speaking out tonight, demanding justice after almost losing an eye in an attack. He says he was the victim of a savage assault four weeks ago. A warning, some of the images and description of the attack is disturbing. It was hanging right out of the socket. It was resting on my cheek a little bit because, uh, as you can see, it was sliced completely through the eyelids and down right to the bone through here. There's a slice in the bone. Andrew Odie is still recovering from a vicious and what he claims was an unprovoked attack on November 28th. He sliced right into the bone in my skull and it's unimaginable. Andrew says he was walking his dog along Petronk Road here on the Penticton Indian Band Reserve when he was approached by two men. They began conversing and hit it off and invited Andrew over for a beer. He says he went and that's when a third unknown assailant showed up and attacked him. He said, when I went to lift up a beer off the table, he said, you think you can just do what you want around here? Who do you think you are? Andrew says the stranger was looking for a fight and one punched him unconscious before stabbing him in the face. I just remember uh, struggling to get out the door. The 36-year-old Penticton man says he drove himself to the hospital still in shock. His sister rushed to be by his side. The injury so life-threatening, Carly Odie was allowed into the ER despite COVID-19 restrictions. I could still see all the blood from the door into the emergency room. Um, and the medical staff told me that he had come in with his eye hanging out and obviously in shock. He said, I think I need an Advil. It's been more than one month since the savage attack and no arrests have been made, which the Odies called disturbing. I want to see justice. I want to know that his case is important and it's worth investigating. 
Penticton RCMP say the assault was targeted and there was no risk to the public. Mounties say the investigation is active, the case is a priority, and investigators are taking the time needed to collect evidence to support charges. Meanwhile, Andrew says while his scars will heal, the enduring trauma of what he experienced may not. It's unimaginable. How could someone be that angry with someone they don't even know? Shelby Tom, Global News. Up ahead, the vaccine rollout continues in the U.S. It is relatively painless. It happens really quickly. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris among the first to get it. Careful not to overpromise how quickly everyone else will. Also, the first commercial flight of the Boeing 737 MAX since a pair of crashes grounded the global fleet. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Good evening. Traffic is still busy but steady both ways at the Lionsgate Bridge with two lanes north and one south, seeing some congestion right now through the Stanley Park Causeway. For 47 years, Kermac Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. While the 737 MAX fleet of planes are still grounded here in Canada, the first passenger flights have resumed in the U.S. after a nearly two-year ban. The plane was taken out of service in March 2019 after two deadly crashes. Today, American Airlines became the first takeoff with passengers, or first to takeoff with passengers, as Boeing seeks to reassure the public the planes are safe. We are flying on a Boeing 737 MAX. In this American Airlines cabin, applause for a new chapter in 737 MAX safety as the first domestic departure roared off the runway. We've been engaged with the FA, with Boeing, with everybody that's associated with, with, with the aircraft to ensure that safety is held at the, the highest level. Grounded for nearly two years after catastrophic crashes in Ethiopia and Indonesia, leading to 346 deaths, the 737 MAX returns to domestic skies with major overhauls. New flight control software and sensors and intensive pilot training. Many passengers encouraged by what they saw. Others learned of the MAX flight from the pilot's PA announcement. I googled and then I panicked. American alerts passengers during booking and at the gate with the right to switch flights. After the fact, I would fly in it again. I probably wouldn't really bat an eye towards it. On the plane, this is going to feel an awful lot like the 737 Maxes that you've been on, but American Airlines has put in 64,000 hours of work and maintenance on the Max fleet over the last 20 months just to get to this point. United and Southwest plan to relaunch the Max early next year, too. Families who lost loved ones are openly questioning this decision. It is inconceivable to me that this airplane will be allowed to fly again without a thorough outside review by a panel of experts. Our hearts go out to those that were involved in the incidents. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to learn from those incidents. A test of trust in the aftermath of devastation. Sam Brock, NBC News, New York. With more than 1 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 detected in the U.S. in less than seven days, there is an urgent push to ensure Americans are getting vaccinated. But the country is nowhere near its intended goals. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more.
I'm ready. Setting an example, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris became the latest high-profile American to receive a COVID-19 vaccination. It is relatively painless. It happens really quickly. It is safe. The effort, an attempt to boost confidence as the U.S. struggles to distribute vaccinations on a wide scale. We expect to have enough doses to vaccinate 20 million Americans by the end of this year. That was the intent under the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed program. In reality, the number is closer to 3 million. The incoming Biden administration pledged 100 million in its first 100 days and could force the president-elect to use the Defense Production Act. I'm going to move heaven and earth to get us going in the right direction. We're planning a whole of government effort. And we're going to work to set up vaccination sites and send mobile units to hard-reached communities. As eager as people are for a fix, there are worries about hyping up hope. We've been consistently underestimating the virus and, uh, and over-promising what will be accomplished, and that has to change. To achieve herd immunity, the U.S. will need an 80% vaccination rate. At the current pace, that could take a decade. It takes time, it takes personnel, it takes information systems that talk to each other, and that just doesn't exist. Healthcare workers say the government should be assisting in vaccine programs instead of leaving it to overburdened hospitals and clinics. Good afternoon, thank you for calling. In one Wisconsin pharmacy, staff accidentally left vials at room temperature, spoiling 500 doses. The biggest problem is the federal government completely abdicated any responsibility for the vaccine rollout. Leaving the country on track to surpass 20 million cases instead of 20 million vaccinations. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. Belgium has redefined what essential means in view of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Chocolate lovers and beer drinkers in the country have been given a reprieve. The two items have been now categorized as essential. Belgium produces some of the best chocolate in the world and shops selling it were allowed to stay open during recent lockdowns. Those rules also applied to Belgium's other great love, beer. Outlets selling it were allowed to stay open while other non-essential shops were forced to close. French fashion designer Pierre Cardin has died at the age of 98. His iconic space-age styles shot him into the fashion stratosphere in the 1960s. In the 70s and 80s, Cardin's products were sold at some 100,000 outlets around the world. His name embossed thousands of products. Everything from perfume to wristwatches to bedsheets. He was inducted into France's Fine Arts Academy in 1992. More than 15,000 Canadians have now died from COVID-19. And while not everyone knows someone who's been infected or lost their life, make no mistake, there is a face and a story behind every number. Now, some families who have lost loved ones to the virus, as well as some survivors, are courageously coming forward, sharing their stories in the hopes of saving lives. Global Sulingo reports. When Edmonton jazz man Bobby Karens died in hospital of COVID-19, visitor restrictions meant his family couldn't be with him, but his music was. He passed peacefully, uh, listening to the, we had the nurse put on uh, you know, the kind, of, the kind of jazz that he likes and then uh, tried to give him the send-off that we could. Bobby's family is one of many who went public during an incredibly dark time to shine a light on the realities of COVID-19. 
for a long time before she passed away, she would tell me she didn't want to die alone over and over again. My dad said to look after mom after I die. And I guess I didn't do a good job of that for them. But maybe he had more months. And I would take more months. I would take more hugs. I would take more another Christmas. My dad had a private room. He had amazing staff. And it still happened to him. COVID also happened to this 40-year-old, Ricky Lamb. He documented his symptoms in detail on social media until the day before he died. How quickly someone can deteriorate with this virus. And someone who is typically so healthy and, and just full of energy. 19-year-old Alyssa Smith thought the virus might kill her. She warned others her age to stay safe. If you think you'll be fine, um, I'd rethink that because it's, it's a lot worse than people think. The stigma of COVID can be just as bad and worse than the virus itself. And at the risk of becoming an outcast in her small community, Deb Eleniak came forward to ask everyone to be kind. You don't know who has it, and you don't know who's next to get it. So an ounce of human kindness goes a very, very long way. Be calm, be kind, and be safe. For sure. Still ahead, a massive step on the road to recovery. It was my release. Time stood still for me in the trails. A long-distance trail runner propels himself forward even after losing a limb. And coming up later in sports, hockey's stick-handling specialist <laughs> pumping out viral videos. Check this out. The seafoam phenomenon hitting France as Storm Bella pummeled the west and northern parts of the country. Foam from the rough seas collected on the coastline and was picked up and spread, uh, spread about by the wind, causing the foam to then rain down into the streets, looking mm, a little bit like snow. The storm also knocked out power to tens of thousands of people. Well, it's the real kind of snow that's about to fall along the Sea to Sky Corridor. We're keeping an eye on. Uh, Christy's there with the latest details. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. Yes, you're exactly right. So that's where we're going to see the majority of the snowfall, Sea to Sky Highway and higher elevation regions. But we do have the possibility of snow for Metro Vancouver and parts of the south coast. So let me break it down for you. The areas we're talking about is Metro Vancouver, Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast. Key areas where we could see the snowfall and it will be likely that we'll see it over 200 meters. So we're talking about 5 to 10 centimeters, but very heavy, wet snow. Below that 200 meters, it is possible that we could see snow, but less likely. And if we do, we're talking about zero to five centimeters of snow. This is starting this evening right through the morning hours. But in fact, we have a rainfall warning in effect. And this is one of the reasons why we have the possibility of snow. When we get heavy rain across the Metro Vancouver region, it can actually pull that freezing level down. So although we are expecting that snow over higher elevation regions, there is the potential that a pulse, pulse of heavier rain could bring that snowfall to those lower elevation regions. And again, that's later this evening and through the 
the overnight period. Tomorrow, really, we're talking about just rainfall. But here's how much snowfall could fall. Certainly, that sea to sky corridor, expecting the most and higher elevation regions, the usual suspects like the Burnaby Mountain as well as uh, uh, Westwood Plateau. But parts of Sunshine Coast could see that, Nanaimo, and certainly that Highway 4 region between uh, Port Alberni and Tofino. And widespread snow expected across the interior regions. We could see anywhere from 10 to 15 centimeters of snow for the north and central parts of the Okanagan. You're under a snowfall warning, certainly there. And we're expecting snow up through the north coast regions as well. So widespread snow expected over higher elevations and interior regions. Again, that's overnight tonight and through uh, the morning hours tomorrow. For our region, mostly just rain during the day tomorrow after that possibility of snow overnight. So it's certainly going to be a wet week. Good time to stay indoors and uh, hunker down and stay safe. And here's your sunset, or sorry, sunrise from this morning in uh, Abbotsford. Thank you to Kristen for that. Some great sunrises lately. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Christy. Beautiful stuff. All right. A Vancouver Island long-distance runner who suffered a life-altering injury almost three years ago is determined to get back on his feet. Kylie Stanton explains how he's been able to make great strides despite having no extended health coverage. It's hard to believe someone who crosses the finish line after running 50 kilometers simply stumbled into the sport. Probably, I guess I was 39. Just fell in love with it, like absolute passion. For several years, Trevor Coey competed, running roads, trails, and mountains, finding quite a bit of success. There's a few. And a calling of sorts. I would lose myself. The rhythm of your feet hitting the trail at first. And then your heartbeat. Every cell in your body is working together. But nearly three years later, Coey lost his rhythm. While helping a friend remove trees from a property, he suffered a catastrophic accident. His right leg that helped keep that beat had to be amputated. Honestly, it was an accident that I shouldn't have survived. The two months he spent in hospital was just the beginning of his recovery. Back right on in. He learned to move around using a walker, then relearned to walk with a prosthetic. And he's out of here. But it was 10 months before Coey could return to work. And while he had the support of a GoFundMe totaling more than $41,000, his health care only covered the cost of basic mobility not the high-performance equipment he'd need to run again. And so he turned to charities for help. This is the running blade that I was awarded from the Challenged Athletes Foundation. The additional pieces needed to complete the prosthetic came soon after, thanks to Team Catapult. When um, tragedies involved doing activities that they um, had been accustomed to doing, we think is super important. It's still a work in progress, as the fit of the socket is not quite right. But the rhythm is still there. It's a feeling that I'm so grateful I can remember. And that's all he needs to get back on his feet and conquer his ultimate goal. Whether I have to crawl across the finish line, I'm going to do another 50. Still, he knows it's the past few years that have and will always be the biggest race of his life. All of this has just has just made me stronger. If, if you want it, it's possible. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Wow. Pretty tough dude. Yeah, 50K on the trails. Well, we wish you great luck in your recovery, Trevor. And we want to be there when uh, when you do it. So Mm -hmm. let us know. We'll show it here. All right, there's Squire with a look ahead of what's coming up on sports. Squire? Yes, uh, thank you very much. We will meet a man named Pavel 
Barber. Pavel is his nickname. You'll see why. He's a hockey player, like a few Pavels we've seen, with magic mitts. Nothing more fun than me going one-on-one with a goalie, trying to dream up some, some new moves. He's not a pro, but these moves are about as good as it gets, and he's an internet star because of them. Also tonight, a giant jade boulder back where it belongs after a wild theft caught on camera. The high-scoring affair, at least for Canada, at the World <laughs> Juniors. Your Squire with the details. More one-sided than they thought it would be. In fact, Canada thought that actually Switzerland would be a very tough defensive team to get through today, <coughs> excusez-moi, at the uh, World Juniors. Uh, they were not a tough team to get through. The Swiss defense was more like the cheese that bears that country's name than any kind of barrier for Canada. And for the second time, Canada put up double digits, winning 10 nothing. although they only had one goal in the first period. Wearing the red today, Canada. Nice-looking uniforms. Of course, any uniform looks nice when you score 10 goals. Uh, Philip Tomasino, one nothing for the Canadians. In the second period, Canada was dishing out. Now, that's a nice, clean check by Dylan Holloway. That's the way to do it. Shoulder in chest. It was 2-0 Canada at that point. Now, Connor Zeri flat out misses the net. But Jacob Pelche is there to score to make it 3-0. And then, it's always good to be named Connor McSomething. Connor McDavid, Connor McGregor, Connor McMichael. 5-0 for Canada. And in the third period... Five more. Quentin Byfield had a six-point game. Two goals, one of them there, and four assists. Yes, it was a laugher. And Devin Levi gets a shutout. New Year's Eve, it is Finland. It won't be that easy against Finland, I can assure you. Uh, Blackhawks captain Jonathan Taves has announced he won't be at Hawks training camp or start the season with Chicago because of an illness that has left him lethargic. He will not say what the illness is. He'll only say that doctors are trying to figure what is going on. Because of that, he has no idea when he'll be healthy enough to play for the Blackhawks again. Named one of the best defenders in the world, Alfonso Davies is the Canadian Press Male Athlete of the Year for 2020. It was an obvious choice given all that he did with Bayern Munich, like making moves like that. Also, helping lift the Champions League trophy with Bayern Munich and being named to the world's best 11 this year. Well, Pavel Barber is a hockey player with moves that even Connor McDavid might marvel at. Uh, he's obviously not making those moves against NHL competition, but his skills with the puck have made him well-known all across the hockey community, and these skills are flat-out incredible and fun to watch. For me, it's trying to find new creative ways to deke past the goalie. <laughs> For me, that's just playtime. That's like nothing more fun than me going one-on-one with a goalie, trying to dream up some, some new moves and try out some new stuff. <laughs> I just needed to break out the trick shots, bud. This is why Pavel Barber is a social media superstar. Barber's the king of the trick shot. Millions have viewed the stick handling specialist videos while young hockey players around the world who've been mesmerized by these ridiculous hands have attended his skills camps. I love being able to meet new new kids who follow my stuff and want to get better, but also just seeing hockey in these new cities is, is great and extending beyond North America as well to places like Finland or 
Sweden, Japan, China has, has been amazing. Okay, so on this one, I'm gonna push it five hole, I'm gonna tap the knob of the stick, exposing the five hole. Aside from his impressive and in-demand stick skills, what's truly amazing is Pavel Barber never played a single shift of junior or professional hockey. Always deemed to be too small, this 30-year-old developed big league mitts, honing his moves on the outdoor rinks in his hometown of Toronto, Ontario. I couldn't count the amount of times I was told I was too small, but I always tell kids, like, you know, if, if you're smaller, it's going to be tougher, no, no doubt. But the fact is it's possible, and you just got to be very, very good at the skills that people aren't good at. Best percentage guy for the Red Wings, Pavel Datsuk. Of all the skilled NHL players Barber grew up watching, Pavel Datsuk is the one skater he studied the most. It's also who Brandon Barber borrowed his nickname from. The Canadian Pavel has spent countless hours breaking down move after move, goal after goal, trying to figure out the science of scoring spectacular goals. Definitely with the, the focus on stick handling and manipulation and just being able to uh, be very elusive out there. Datsuk, just, I was obsessed. You could also call it an insatiable appetite where the hunger to practice, try unique moves and score pretty goals is never ending. Barber's passed on his knowledge and helped enhance the talent level of NHLers Jake Vertanen and Jonathan Taze. He's also played a little beach showdown with Florida Panthers captain Alexander Barkov. The one thing he hasn't done and would love to do is go one-on-one -on -one with an NHL goalie. Truth be told, like, I think for an NHL goalie, there's no upside in, in facing me, right? It's like, you saved the puck, congrats, you saved an amateur YouTuber. All right, Wolverhampton, Manchester United. Let's show you some uh, Premier League action. Right down near the final whistle. And it was a lucky bounce here for Marcus Rashford and Man United. This went off uh, Romain Sice, and that made it one nothing. And that was the final for Man U. There you go. That's the way it goes sometimes. All right, thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you very much, Sophie. We'll have more tonight on that avalanche that's claimed two lives near Pemberton. The men were snow biking when the wall of snow came down, and they weren't the only ones needing help in the back country. And a warning for others as the Sea to Sky region is set to get another major dump of snow tonight. Plus, more COVID-19 cases have been reported at the Big White Ski Resort near Kelowna. They're now up to 111, but health officials are assuring people it's still safe to ski there. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris. All right, Jay, thanks very much. Up next, cracking the case of the stolen giant Jade Boulder. Stay with us. giant slab of jade stolen from outside a gift shop in Cash Creek is back where it belongs tonight. As Ted Chernecki reports, the one-ton rock was found lying in a tangle of bushes and weeds. But the questions of how it got there and who is responsible still haven't been answered. Dare we say it, it's easy to become jaded in these dark times. But this is a story of a couple of good Samaritans who fought for justice and won. 
The story centers on a giant jade rock, a boulder weighing almost 3,000 pounds. On December 19th, the driver and his buddy spotted a pickup truck and a trailer with a small excavator on the back, pulling out of the Caribou Jade Shop parking lot. It looked suspicious, so they gave chase. The guy took off right away, so looked over, didn't see the boulder there, looked back, saw it on his trailer, and was like, well, he just stole that. Let's go. At one point, another vehicle pulls up alongside those in pursuit, suggesting there are others involved in this heist. Well, me and my buddy think that he had a, a friend in another vehicle because we were passed by a, a black SUV, slowed right down when it was passing us and was trying to look into the truck. Then the getaway vehicle ahead slows right down, giving the black SUV time to drive ahead and look for something to throw at the Good Samaritans. Well, once they threw that rock at my truck, you know, I kind of figured... Who knows if they have a gun, they might have used the rock first, they might have a gun. But in all honesty, it's a rock and I have an eight-year-old son that I wanted to get home to the next day. A couple of days later, Chase RCMP find the suspect vehicle. Kamloops RCMP find the trailer, abandoned, minus the excavator and rock. And incredibly, an anonymous tip leads police to the rock itself, just yesterday. It's been unloaded in some snow-covered bushes. Uh, there was some concerned that they would try cutting into smaller pieces so it would be less recognizable and easier to carry, that kind of thing. So we were super relieved to find out that it was back in one piece with minimal damage. It had to be a monumental undertaking to rip a rock like this out of its concrete foundation. The jade isn't of especially high quality, but for the shop owners, it's a priceless landmark, one that's been photographed countless times since it was first put here 35 years ago. Not in our town. In appreciation, Caribou Jade Shop is paying the deductible to fix the Good Samaritan's rock-damaged truck. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Not in Cash Creek. <laughs> All right, let's get a final word on the weather. Uh, it'll be a busy one tonight, Christy. Yes, so we'll be watching the snow or the potential for snow. It is likely over higher terrain, above 200 meters, that we could see up to 10 centimeters of snow, usual suspects. But there is a chance, less likely, though, uh, over lower elevation regions. But keep your eye out for that overnight and early tomorrow morning, otherwise rain during the day. All right. Thanks very much for that. Thank you for watching, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night, all.